Some football math coming at the bottom of the hour. How many teams are prime contenders? Our NFL tiers, we do them weekly Thursday at 5.30. Uh, Typically Wednesdays at 5.30, we do never read the comments, but that got shifted because of uh, how we just handled the show with the breaking news and and everything yesterday. That'll be at 6 o'clock today. But obviously, uh, the thing we talked about yesterday, still our lead story today, Monumental moving their teams to Virginia, likely anyway, uh, but what about it from the D.C. side of it? Let's talk about it with an expert. It's time for Not My Beat. Today's top story from the perspective of someone who's there. You are looking live. This just in. Not My Beat. Michael Bryce Sadler covers D.C. government and politics for The Washington Post. He joins us now. Michael, thank you, sir. How are you doing this afternoon? Sure, Craig. I'm doing all right. It's been a busy uh couple of days i'll say that much yeah for sure so um there is so much to talk about here from the dc side of it and i I guess like the baseline question that i feel like most people in the audience want to know is essentially did dc fumble the bag here like they clearly were able to conjure up some kind of uh, offer with 500 million dollars seemingly at the last second some of your reporting with your colleague megan flynn uh talks about the timeline of that that kind of extended a few days backwards but also Jim Van Stone, the COO of Monumental, said yesterday on Grant and Danny that Virginia just provided something D.C. couldn't. They provided the opportunity to build this campus. So as you've reported on this, how, like, where do you kind of come down on how realistic it was for D.C. to keep these teams in the first place? Well, I mean, I think it's one of those things where it could be a little bit of column A, a little bit of column B, right? So I think when you look at what Virginia was offered and what – Ted Leonsis himself talked about at that news conference. Uh, I think it was yesterday. Time has escaped me. but uh, it, it Indeed was somehow just yesterday. Um, he, he came out and said, look, we have a chance to build from the ground up here, a blank slate, if you will. And that's not really possible with the current setup in D.C. And that's not even talking about the dollar amount, right? Like the Commonwealth, it would cost them $1.6 billion. D.C. is in the conversation for $500 billion. So there's just more money at play, more space at play. But I think the other side of this, this conversation is what uh, we've been hearing a lot from people privately who are kind of privy to these conversations is, well, was D.C. moving urgently enough over the summer when Monumental had expressed this interest in potentially going to Virginia or let the city know it was entertaining such a decision? Uh, was there enough of an emphasis on trying to make sure that didn't happen, considering when the offer was ultimately presented, considering how kind of haphazard that all seemed, it's lended itself to uh, that type of conversation of, well, did, did, did D.C. move with enough urgency on this? And you even have other uh, D.C. City Council members in your story saying, like, we didn't know about this. Uh, Phil Mendelson, the chair did obviously mayor bowser did but is that something that is typical and i would assume problematic in the dc city government that there is poor communication that people aren't looped in who need to be or would like to be and have a right to be is this something that is emblematic or is this something that is kind of unique to this uh this issue that's a good question i mean i think it depends on the issue but there has been a criticism over the years and the time i've covered this beat on how effectively the council and the mayor are working together, how well they're communicating with one another, especially especially on issues like public safety, uh, which I'm sure you're aware of. Um, but it's not, this isn't something completely novel or new. There have been strained relationships in the past. 
uh, between the council and the mayor's office. And in this case, the council doesn't have the authority to make the type of offer the mayor has made. It, it does take them both working together, like the mayor proposes it, and then the council passes it. So uh, they've come out to say we're in lockstep behind this proposal now, but I think the bigger question is what happened in the months leading up to this proposal being put on the table uh, over the past few days. Michael Bryce Sadler, who is uh, a D or excuse me, a Washington Post reporter covering the D.C. government uh, and politics for the Metro Desk, is with us here on the Hoffman Show. So you mentioned the public safety side of this, and there is obviously been an increase in crime in D.C., whether it is as much as the narrative, uh, it, it, depending on who you ask, you know, everyone's got a different narrative, different perspective. Um, right. You know, that whether it matches that is, is I think, up for debate. So, Michael, as someone who covers this, can you give us a realistic picture of the crime situation in D.C., how much that potentially played a role here and where that is kind of, I would say, relative to the rest of the country, where I think a lot of other big cities and frankly, a lot of other rural and, or, and suburban areas are also seeing uh, increases in crime post pandemic for a litany of reasons. Right. Well, I mean, D.C.'s problems, I think you stated them pretty fairly. Uh, they're acute. And even some of those other big cities that saw increases during the pandemic have seen reductions that D.C. has not experienced itself. So um, while the headlines, I think, can be a bit sensational and how people feel about it, again, will depend on who you ask. I would say the general tenor among lawmakers here, among top city leaders, among residents is that uh, things are not in a good place and that a lot of people do not feel safe. Uh, so that's been the top priority for the mayor, for the council is trying to figure out how can we turn this around through legislation, through changes in policy, through tweaks in procedure uh, to have these stats go in a different direction. Now, as it pertains to the stadium, you know, there, there's been reporting that we've done that uh, Ted Leonsis himself has had some concerns about activity outside the arena. Uh, but I think if you go out, you go to a Wizards game, you go to a Capitals game or a concert, you see tons of people out uh, by Capital One Arena. I don't live far away from the arena. So while uh, there are concerns about crime, I don't think it's prevented anyone from going downtown to see a game, right? And I think that's what makes this uh, all the more devastating for residents. It's not a situation where nobody wanted to go downtown to the arena. Maybe if you are a huge Wizards fan, you haven't had a lot to cheer about lately, but um, outside of that, the crime concerns, it's really case by case, depending on who you ask and what their experience has been personally. But this year has felt different compared to others. Oh, Michael, you should see the the YouTube comments. How many people will not come downtown and how many of them are in my YouTube comments? It's uh, it's amazing. Uh, really, really amazing. Uh, Michael Bryce Sadler is with us, D.C. government reporter uh, here on The Hoffman Show. Of course, Michael writing for The Washington Post. So I, I, one of the things that I've kind of been talking about the last, uh, I can't believe, again, it's only been you know 48 hours or, or 36 hours uh, since this news broke, is the opportunity that exists for D.C. now to reimagine that area. What are some of the proposals to try to make the Penn Quarter area into something vibrant and viable again, considering we are in a new era, a new economy where people aren't going to go to work like they did prior to 2020? Right. Well, this has been a top concern for the city all year before the Wizards and Capitals leaving was even really part of the uh, common conversation uh, as it pertains to downtown and the area around Chinatown. Uh, 
the city's finances are struggling in large part because of how downtown changed with the pandemic. Workers who are working more remotely, uh, less visitors downtown overall. Now the city has seen some increases in hotel, uh, people staying at hotels in terms of tourism that has increased gradually. And I think anecdotally, if you look around at who's commuting, you're seeing improvements. So the focus for the city now, and they have a downtown action plan that was supposed to come this fall and is actually going to now be uh, unveiled next year, is figuring out how they can attract new people downtown, residents, uh, more visitors, other types of things besides office spaces and bringing workers in who uh, I think we all know the remote work situation is probably here to stay for a lot of companies uh, who are moving out of the big buildings they lease downtown and trying to save money because of that. So how do you repurpose those buildings? How do you bring new visitors downtown, whether that's using uh, re empty real retail spaces for art uh, exhibits? That's something that's been discussed. Public performances like concerts to make use of old spaces. Everything's on the table right now for the city. Uh, one of the big areas that is definitely needed in the city is affordable housing. And it seems like, I mean, look, we're in Navy Yard and they built Nats Park and it's like, wow, everything's great. Nats Park or Navy Yard used to be a hellhole. And now look at it. And I'm like, yeah, look at all the luxury apartments that people can buy. There's there's very little affordable housing. Do you think that some of that area um, could turn into that? And, and also, how does, you know, 82 nights plus playoffs a year worth of games not being there change the prospects for that area well to the second point you made i mean that is going to have to be something the city figures out um if for example the mystics are relocated uh, obviously georgetown might continue to play there that's still an ongoing conversation from what i understand but that would be a huge change uh that city leaders would need to figure out how to replicate that you really can't um, without those teams there. So it's a matter of, again, getting creative uh, once again. And in terms of affordable housing in general, that has been, I think, the calling card for a lot of housing advocates and others uh, who who care about housing and housing people who have been priced out of the city is use this opportunity to turn some of these older buildings downtown into apartments, into affordable housing. The challenge is that's a lot easier said than done. Uh, it sounds great on paper, but actually reconfiguring the plumbing, the windows, how these office buildings are set up into an apartment uh, is expensive. So the city has tried to create some incentives for developers to actually undergo those types of renovations and changes. But whether or not all of that housing is going to be affordable remains to be seen. Certainly some lawmakers uh, on the D.C. Council have sought to um, siphon off some of the housing that's maybe set to be built to make sure that it's some level of affordability. But uh, with the economy the way it is, affordable really is like a quotation mark um, because even what's labeled affordable housing might not be able to house the poorest people in the city. Right. Um, Michael Bryce Sadler is with us, D.C. government and politics reporter for The Washington Post. Uh, on the budget side of this, Michael, the $500 million that they came up with, because you mentioned how strapped the city is financially right now, and cities don't operate at losses uh, in the way that like the federal government does. There's no such thing as a deficit in a city budget for those listening that might not understand that or know that. Um, the idea that you can just come up with $500 million and be like, oh, we have it, Ted, please stay. Is that now $500 million that can go to education, to housing, to other things? Or was the way that money 
was accounted for requiring some of the revenue that these teams were bringing, and thus that money either went to Ted Leonsis or is not going to exist. So part of the reason that D.C. was able to present this offer now, at least as the mayor explained, is that uh, because of the shifting financial in the city, which, again, some of the finances are looking better than what was predicted earlier this year, uh, the city was able to refinance some of its debt, uh, which creates an avenue to make that kind of offer. Now, that would be borrowing, so it's not a situation where there's just money suddenly available. Um, the emphasis and why the full council is behind this is because the arena is such an economic engine that uh, when it comes to some of the things you mentioned, like social services, if there's if there's no teams downtown, if there's no arena, if that downtown activity is not there, then that hampers the city's ability even further to provide those services moving forward. So it's really imperative to get downtown on track economically so that the city can keep providing uh, the housing, the social services that it has with demand as high as it's ever been for things like rent relief and support along those lines. So last thing for you, Michael, um, Leonsis owns the building. The city owns the land. Leonsis hates his lease and it's coming up relatively soon. What are the chances that the city, whether it's the city or Leonsis' side of it, just go like, no, nah, we're done here? Because they're saying all the right things right now uh, on the monumental side. We know we want to keep going. We want to, there's concerts that we've had to turn down that we can fill Capital One Arena with, all this stuff. But what are the chances that by the time, whether it's they break ground in 2025 on Potomac Yards or 2027 when, when these teams leave, that that's the end of the relationship between Leonsis Monumental and Capital One Arena, and that space all of a sudden is is vacant and available to whatever extent it would be available for a, whether it's d demolition and something that's not an arena or for someone else to come in and, and try something else with that spot in an arena-sized uh, and shaped building. Right. I mean, I think based on everything Ted has said so far, city lawmakers and the mayor operating with the impression that that is not, that's not the situation right now. Now, do I think that uh, privately, there are probably, probably some discussions about, well, what does that future look like if uh, Leonsis makes that decision? That's one thing, maybe. But for right now, there's an understanding that there is still a commitment to operating the arena. Granted, it would look a lot different with those two teams in play. And I think the future is a huge question. I don't know what the relationship looks like, frankly, uh, after this move Leonsis has made and how negotiations will go. Obviously, D.C. doesn't think it's out of the picture in terms of retaining those teams, uh, but Virginia has a ton of momentum. So right now the focus is, well, here's our best and final offer the city has offered uh, Ted Leonsis, and we'll see where it goes from there. We will all watch with bated breath, uh, and, and you'll probably watch sooner, if you will, than the rest of us, which means we're going to be reading your reporting. Uh, Michael Bryce Sadler, D.C. government and politics reporter for The Washington Post as part of their Metro section. Uh, thanks so much for your time here on the radio, Michael, and uh, great work, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again down the line as this story continues to develop. I'm sure. Thanks for having me on. Absolutely. Again, that's Michael Bryce Sadler. He and Megan Flynn wrote a great piece that's worth your time in the post on all of this um there is so much god i just it it feels like drinking from a fire hose because there's so many different angles to this um one thing that i will say on the affordable housing side of it 
and these buildings. I know this isn't necessarily a sports topic, but it's all related. And this is personal to me because um, this might surprise people. Like I'm a come from middle class parents, um, you know, white dude seemingly has a great job and this job is great in a bunch of different ways but like they don't pay you a lot when you get started in radio um a radio salary is is nothing to nothing to write home about certainly nothing to send a check home about sure if you can be Stephen a smith or mike greenberg uh this industry pays you really freaking great um or if you're the i mean frankly if you're uh say a morning show that's been on for 27 years like you you build up enough sponsors and stuff over time and uh, you're, you're doing all right. But as someone who started in this industry, as it started to change drastically in the early 2010s and the digital era came and radio has been on a, on a journey as, as is newspapers um, and, and frankly, television. Like, look what happened with all these regional sports networks. I will just stop meandering and tell you that when I worked in Dallas, I was making, my salary was $25,000 a year. 25. Um when I moved here, it more than doubled simply because uh, 980 used to be a union shop. And the minimum that they were allowed to pay me was more than double what I was making in Dallas. Um, I supplemented my income in Dallas by doing more shifts and getting paid an hourly rate on top of my salary uh, for weekend shows and, and extra things. So, yeah, it wasn't great. And, but because of that, I actually qualified for a rental assistance program in the city. And so I used to live because it was, I needed to live outside of the city to afford to be able to live um, in, in a place of my own. I used to live in, in Valley Ranch. Um, it's ironic because I didn't cover the Cowboys like I wound up covering the Commanders, um, and even though the facility was a mile from my apartment. But then I wanted to be closer because um, the station I was working for uh, was originally owned by Disney, like big ESPN, and got leased essentially to another company whose office was downtown. And so in moving to downtown Dallas to be closer, I was able to live in a what was a pretty nice apartment building thanks to a rental assistance program because I was getting paid nothing. And I think when we talk about like the types of apartments and the types of things that can be built in DC, some creativity around that should be in play. Like it's not just about building super basic nothing apartments so that low lower income salaries can make you be able to live there it's a combination of both like let's let's give people a nice place to live but help them afford it like there there are more creative ways to go about this and it's going to be on real estate developers it's going to be on the city um it's going to be on a lot of different people to to figure out the best solutions and those people are way way smarter than me but it's interesting hearing someone like Michael who covers this day in, day out, talk about the difficulties of, yeah, this is expensive, um, which is why developers want to make these things into luxury apartments because they can make more money off of it. And they can also recoup their investment faster because turning an office space into an apartment where you go from having like one bathroom on every floor to, you know, 25 to 60 to whatever number of apartments that all need one or more bathrooms in them and showers and, you know, laundry uh, facilities and, and all of those things, whether they're on a floor or each individual unit. Um, these are complicated, expensive things. And by the way, you're dealing with union shops, um, which is fine by me, but it, it costs more money um, because the standards are higher. 
And so there's just a lot of stuff that goes into this, and it's extremely, extraordinarily complicated. Um, but it's going to take a lot of investment and reimagination. Uh, and now to, I, I just wonder if you're, if I'm the city, how I treat that pen quarter neighborhood, do I try to revitalize businesses and change the kinds of businesses that are there? Or am I fully embracing a more residential area? And what happens at Capital One Arena is going to probably influence that because it's going to influence how likely it is that people actually want to live there in a place where there is or is not concerts or there are or are not concerts and basketball games and monster truck events and you know events in conjunction with the convention center, uh, which is something that, that Monumental has mentioned. So it's all intertwined. It's all intersectional. It's all very complicated. And a lot of it goes well outside the bounds of sports. Very inside the bounds of sports, NFL tier rankings. That is where we go next. It's the Hoffman Show on a Thursday here on the Team 980, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980, and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app, streaming live on YouTube at the Team 980. We will dive into the comments section coming up at 6 o'clock. Uh, continue talking about, obviously, the big news of yesterday slash today, the uh, move for Monumental Sports to Virginia, which is uh, not final, but very likely uh, the framework of the deal in place. We take our first detour in a couple days, though. Now to rank the NFL's 32 football teams. We do this each and every week. Our NFL tiers. Uh, Anthony, did it, did you actually just get ahead of the cold? Did you feel it starting to get colder and go to a, change the thermostat before it got freezing? Yes, I did. Hey! Yeah. Eh, 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 I felt eh, the breeze, eh. man. I was like, whoa, hold on now. I started to notice it a little bit, but it wasn't like bad. There wasn't one of those where I go, Anthony. Yeah. We got, please go. We hadn't gotten there yet. Yeah. Just a little little more proactive than usual. I like it. You're starting to adjust to 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 how we like it in here. Yes, sir. Which is weird that I say we, but like really how I like it. But you also always agree with me. That's the thing. Sometimes you're just a little bit behind. Yeah. Anyway, it's time for our NFL tears. This, uh, this is getting harder by the week. Although some of it... Some of it feels easy. Uh, prime contenders. I mean, if we're doing it based off recent form, this list gets real small real fast. Who would you rank as the best team? We've never really ranked the prime contenders. Well, that's antithetical to the segment. The point of the segment is that you don't actually, like, it is more accurate to clump teams together yeah. than it is to rank them one through 32. Oh, no, I wasn't trying to rank those teams. But you're 32. saying who would be your favorite today? Yeah, like who would – we have one, two, three, four. We have six teams in our prime contenders. If you had to rank them, how would you rank them? That's all I would ask. I, I will at least entertain your game for one team. Okay. And my one team uh -oh. is the team that I picked to win the Super Bowl before the season – that is the San Francisco 49ers. Yeah. To me, they are the best team in the league. I think the Ravens are really good. I think the Cowboys are playing excellent. Um, 
And frankly, I think all these teams in here, although the Dolphins were starting to have to potentially have some conversations, um, I think all the teams in here legitimately could win the Super Bowl, are real threats to win uh, their conference, and that's the definition that we put on this category. They are prime contenders. Of course, some are going to be more more prime than others, and I think the San Francisco 49ers are the, the most prime, but I, I still think we have this group correct. I would agree. I would agree. The 49ers are definitely the best team in football. I thought it was the Ravens. But uh, they just allow Matthew Stafford and the 49, I mean the uh, the Rams to go out there and hang 30 on them. So yep. I, I don't know. I, I, I got to reconsider uh, that defense a little bit because the Rams' defense is not that of the 49ers. So I don't know how it would fare. They are maybe the best offense in football, yeah. and they are one of the best defenses in football. Yeah. Like, Good formula. It's All like, the way around. you know, when you want to pick an NBA title team, go look at the team. Go find the team that's got the top five offense and the top ten, top five defense, and that's probably your eventual NBA champion. That's kind of how that works. And the NFL is a little bit more random because of the nature of the playoffs, one game and you're done. But, like, what more do you want from a team than we can run it, we can throw it, we can stop the run, we can stop the pass. Sometimes our kicker that we way overdrafted because why did we draft a kicker uh, we'll miss a kick or two, but like generally speaking, as long as we're healthy, we'll murder you. I forgot all about that. They they did lose to the Browns because he missed a kick. Yeah, a chip yeah. shot. Yeah, not yeah. great. Um, but since they've been healthy, like is Debo healthy? Is Trent healthy? Is CMC healthy? Is Purdy healthy? Those four are healthy on offense, and Warner is healthy on defense. It's curtains. I think they're the favorite. Um, if they lose one of those guys, it's a blow. Um, if they lose Warner, that would be terrible. Um, but not cataclysmic. Like, they're, Drake Greenlaw is great. Um, Tafunga's great. Like, they've got good defensive line. Obviously, Bosa's incredible. They've got depth with guys like Chase, who are super wild card type of players. They think you need on every championship team. So, yeah, I would say San Francisco's easily the favorite. I think the question we have to ask is Chiefs and Eagles. They've lost two games in a row each. Uh, I told this stat uh, during this segment last week. Since... The Kelsey brothers started New Heights, their podcast. They had never lost in the same week until last week. They've now lost two weeks in a row. Wow. Of course, the Chiefs, another close one with the the Kelsey uh, throwback to Kadarius Toney, uh, called off due to the offensive offsides. The Eagles have been crushed two straight weeks, but they've, they've been crushed by other teams in this category. And so I... I still have faith in these teams. I think they'll figure it out. It would not surprise me if they were in the Super Bowl again. And so I think they belong. Would I pick either of them, I think, at this point? Kansas City more than than Philly, but I think they both belong. Uh, I agree. I mean, the Eagles, again, they're in a tough stretch of their season. They're going against literally everybody in the prime contender section. Uh, well, aside from the Bills, I think. But but the Bills are like the best puncher's exactly. chance team. Because they like the Bills define puncher's chance because if Allen goes nuts on a given day, they can they're super there. hard to beat. Yep. It's just you can't rely on that every week. Yep. And they played up that week to, to Philly. Yeah, so I, I just feel as though, I mean, I wouldn't panic. A lot of people are like panicking, but... They have, these are some, you know, they lost to some really good teams. 
the end of their season gets really easier. I think they'll be able to, you know, rest uh, a couple of their guys um, towards the end of the season. I would hope that they will want to go out there and try to get, you know, the one, the number one seed in the the NFC. But it, it's getting tougher as they, you know, these losses start to pile up. But their their schedule does get easier, so I'm not really worried about them. Um, they also if, started ten and one, like they built themselves some cushion. Exactly. So are they still going to finish with like three to five losses? Probably. Yeah. Which is still an amazing season. You finish twelve and five, like that's good enough to be a legitimate one seed most years. Uh, Baltimore, they won. It was a little uglier, but I think the Rams are good. We'll talk about them in a second. Yep. Um, Baltimore, no issues. Cowboys prove they belong yep. uh, in this. Man, they are they are scary good right now. I think it was something Jason Kelsey said on on New Heights. That was interesting. He said they played fast. They played with energy, and that's something that if the Cowboys can can come back and win this division and get home games throughout the playoffs, that is a different team at home because of the speed of that turf. Um, Collinsworth mentioned it on, on the broadcast, too, of the Sunday Nighter against against Philly. They get on that turf down there in Dallas, and they, they're playing at full speed. It's a different team than outdoors and grass and slop and whatever conditions you might see in January in San Francisco or outdoors in Philadelphia. So um, that's something to watch for sure. And then you have Miami who is kind of Dolphins, or is kind of Cowboys East. Super talented, a lot of of pizzazz, a lot of star power, a lot of offensive points put up, haven't actually beat anybody good. The best win on their schedule is Denver, in part because it was historic, but also that was way before Denver got rolling. Like, that was was the nadir of Denver's terribleness. Um, So, does Miami belong in prime contenders? Or do they belong one notch down in puncher's chance? My thing is, yes, they lost to the Titans. Terrible loss. But if they don't have Tyreek Hill, yeah. like th- they they can't really compete with like anybody, to be honest. Their entire offense revolves around him. And when he went out against the Titans, yeah, he did come in like here and there, but his ankle was clearly killing him, so... They're going to be an interesting team to watch this because offensively, a lot of their explosive plays are built around him. The run game, you know, struggled a little bit against the Titans. So, I don't really know what to make of the Dolphins. Like, I'm, I'm willing to leave them here just because they still have explosive players. Um, and two, as you know, he's been phenomenal all season. Yeah. but I, I also think their defense isn't bad. And I think that's a relevant plot point. They had a terrible outing against the Titans, though. Well, did they or did they have what, a bad two minutes? Because uh, they were up 14 with less than three minutes to go. Yeah. In a game that they lost 28-27. So they were up 27-14. If they just land the plane and they win 27-21 even, that's not a bad day at the office. So I, just, I, I think like Christian Wilkins is really good. Ramsey's really good. Yep. And I'm also willing Chubb. to give McDaniel another week. Yeah, Chubb's great. Like McDaniel, it's one thing to adjust to losing a player like Tyreek mid-game where all of a sudden you've planned all week to have him and your game plan goes out the window and you have to kind of reconfigure it on the fly versus, hey, our guy's wounded or our guy's unavailable. How do we plan without him? So this, to me, this is the week to test for Miami. I don't even know remember who they're playing. Um, but if they win and they look like themselves, then they stay. If they drop another one and they, they don't look potent, then I think they might have to go down a, chance, uh, a, a level. Um, because we're also uh, fairly or unfairly um, 
probably a little bit unfairly, going to judge them based off the end of last year where they they dumped all over December. They didn't win a game. So uh, I guess we'll reconvene next Thursday and discuss. Okay, there's some interesting uh, results in puncher's chance and mm-hmm. in the interesting but not quite good enough categories. Yep. No chance is still no chance. Uh, so we will wrap up our NFL tiers next. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app. It's the Hoffman Show on the Team 980, always live as well on the free Odyssey app. We will get back to uh, the Monumental story in just a little bit. We'll get to never read the comments, which will include more coverage of the Monumental story and some Commander's thoughts uh, coming up at 6 o'clock. Right now, though, we continue uh, with our NFL tiers on a Thursday, and we will wrap those up uh, here in the next few minutes, starting with uh, our... Second tier, if you will, uh, prime contenders. Are you a real contender for the Super Bowl? Can you win your conference? Puncher's chance. Could you win a playoff game? Could you wind up uh, in the in the AFC or NFC title game, even if you face a prime contender and have no real chance, uh, at, at least a very unlikely one, to win it? So the teams that we have here, Anthony, are Lions, Bills, Jags, Texans. Lions, Bills, Jags, Texans. Sorry, Rams also in there. I want to start there because I said last week, I was the one who was like, I'm putting the Rams up there. I like what they've done when Stafford's been in the lineup. I think they belong. And as long as they go to Baltimore and compete with Baltimore in Baltimore, that's good enough justification for me. And boy, do I feel justified. Now you were absolutely right. I I cast all doubt on the Rams going into Baltimore, competing. Definitely just thought Baltimore's defense was going to be able to rise to the occasion. But guess what? The Rams' offense also rose to the occasion. So, um, I'd, I'm I'm cool with leaving them there. It'll be interesting to see how they do the next couple of weeks. They do have a couple of divisional games coming up, I think. Um, so, you know, we shall see how the Rams look in those couple of games. But I, I'm fine with leaving them here as long as, you know, their offense continues to do what they've been doing. You know, Matthew Stafford as as poised and, and experienced as they come. Yeah, without a doubt. They've been there. They've done that. They've got the stars. They've got a formula that works. Yep. Um, we'll preview, obviously, the Rams uh, tomorrow a lot more. And uh, Logan and I taped uh, our Rams preview today, uh, which is just a small part of our podcast. Normally, the preview is like the entire pod. But given the circumstances of the season, we were like, what else do we want to do? So we had a really great conversation about Jamin Davis. And then we also had Matt Miller from ESPN on, who was phenomenal on draft stuff. Um, but we did, in talking about the Rams, it was interesting because Logan's like, yeah, like they run it, but they don't really, they're not actually that good at it, but they run it until they make you get into personnel that they really like, and then they throw it all over on you. And I was like, oh, you mean the thing that I've been advocating for here in Washington? Funny, interesting how that works. Um, but they have a formula that works. They know who they are. They know what they want to do. They have a way of attacking you. Um, and I think the Rams are a team that I would not want to see in the playoffs um, because Stafford also can go win you a game. Um, Then you have the Bills, who I think are starting to rise a little bit again. Um, Obviously, that big win over the Eagles. And then you got, I don't know what to do with the rest of this category. Like, the Bills remain the ultimate puncher's chance team because they they have Josh Allen. And their win over the Eagles shows you that. They go, they beat the Chiefs. Got a wacky play at the end, but they beat the Chiefs. And you're like, okay, well, you beat uh, back-to-back Super Bowl uh, participants 
you beat back-to-back -back prime contenders, you're clearly in puncher's chance. And frankly, with another win, might wind up in prime contenders. I think that's probably worth mentioning too. But the Jags lose to Joe Flacco in Cleveland. The Texans get embarrassed by the Jets. And the Lions are all of a sudden borderline on a tailspin. What do we do with these teams? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, the Texans situation, ah, then they got one more week, Craig. I think they I, got one more week. And Stroud, by the way, hasn't practiced the last two days. So they're at Tennessee. Oh, divisional. And then they've got Cleveland at Tennessee at Indy. So they're, they're divisional uh, for three of the final four and Cleveland in between. Like... They just lost 30 to 6 to the to the Jets, Jets, bro. To the Jets. I guess they still have won four of their last six. They've earned another week. I will give them another week, but I'm real tempted to pop them out because they've also lost two of their last three. They just were on a three-game winning streak before that. And the offense isn't looking good. Injuries are piling no. up offensively. That's what been that's what's been driving them all season. CJ might not play. He got knocked out of the game against the Jets. Davis Mills came in, didn't do too much. I want to see how they perform. If they perform well and even if they lose without Stroud, I'm okay with it. And we'd probably keep them. But I think by and large, we... Uh, they got to beat the Titans, Greg. They have to. All right. There gotta, you go. They, they got to beat the Titans. Jags, I still feel like they belong here. But they're also a one more week and we, we bump you down, team. Yeah. And the Lions kind of in that same boat. Like, are you are you finally downturning after a year of being great? It's unfortunately, in uh, the last half of last season and the first half of this one, or are you did you just have a, a down couple weeks and you're going to be fine? Can you stop going one for five on fourth down and stop turning the ball over? Yeah, I mean, again, like those divisional games are just so weird, but. You're right. I think we get one more week. Well, and their one more week comes against Ooh. the or, uh, the the Denver Broncos, yeah. who I think we need to talk about here. Interesting, but not quite good enough. Denver, after uh, we were ready to move them up, lost, and then bounced back with a big 24-7 win last week over uh, the Chargers after a close loss to the Texans. I think, like... I think Denver's got to get moved up. I can't believe I'm saying that. Because the team that... I mean, the Commanders beat them this year, bro. They beat them. Yep. I mean, we just caught them at a good time. Just like we, we caught the Cardinals at a perfect time. I think if we play the Cardinals week four, week three, I think we lose. Yeah, it's, uh, it's not great. I think we would have lost. But great. I'm with... Broncos up the to Broncos. puncher's chance. I think if they beat the Lions, though. I think if they go I kind of think like that's a game. I think I think they get to be moved back up. Okay. And that's a game where the loser goes down. Yep. All right. Okay. That's and if they play each other to like an overtime 31-30 type of game, they can both stay. All right. Uh because they, then they belong in the same neighborhood. Yep. All right. Anybody else needs to go up? Steelers? No. No. God, they're on the verge of getting in no chance. Um, which is crazy because we put them in puncher's chance 2 weeks ago against my better judgment. Falcons? Nope. Seahawks, Seahawks are an interesting team, uh, but they're not good enough. Like nah. that's the whole, that's the name of the category. Yeah, Tampa, do. nope. New Orleans, nope. Chargers, they Chargers, need to move down. Chargers need to go down to no chance with the Herbert injury. Yeah, 
Welcome no to the basement. Chance. Welcome to the basement, Brandon Staley. Uh, New Orleans. No. Indy. Nope. Green Bay. So frustrating. Yeah, I don't get Green Bay. Minnesota's got quarterback issues. Yeah. Bengals. I think the Bengals are a team that we should consider for next week. I think we I, keep them there. I agree with that. But next week. Fool me once. Okay. Fool me twice. What's going on, Jake Browning? Fool me three times. Maybe maybe I am actually the fool. Yeah. And Jake Browning is going to lead them to an all right finish. Uh, and then the Browns. Joe Flacco, he's looked good. He has looked good. I, I think we need to give that one I, more week. Yeah, one more week. One more week. One more week. All right. And then Carolina, Arizona. The, the, yeah, Gi- no the Giants? If Tommy DeVito keeps winning, do we have to move the Giants out of no chance? Uh, do they still are they still mathematically in the playoffs? Oh, they're five and eight, right? They're five and eight. So they could they could finish. Give it one over more week. Five hundred. Give it one more week. Yeah, New That's England. Where I am. New England, Tennessee. No. Yikes! Uh, although nice win. Uh, Vegas Jets Commanders all at the bottom. All right, that is our NFL tier. Those are our NFL tier rankings. We get back, we dive deep into the comments section. Some very interesting comments from all over the D.C. sports universe, uh, but many on the monumental move from D.C. to Virginia. We will get into the YouTube comments next on the Hoffman Show on the Team 980 and always live on the free Odyssey app.